Welcome to Money Metal's Midweek Memo. News and commentary relating to sound money, the precious metal markets, and the economy. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. So, the CPI for January came out yesterday. Let's check in on our friends over at the Federal Reserve. Yikes. Sounds a little panicky over there. And, I mean, why shouldn't it be? Because the Fed people are definitely between a rock and a hard place. They really, really, really want to cut interest rates. But they can't plausibly cut until price inflation drops closer to the mythical 2% target. You see, they need inflation to be dead. Here's the first thing I thought of when I saw the most recent CPI data. I'm not dead. If you didn't recognize that little clip, it's from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. In that particular scene, an undertaker is moving through a medieval village, pushing a cart during the plague, collecting dead bodies. As he arrives at one house, a man comes out with a body thrown over his shoulder. But the thing is, The guy is still very much alive. When the undertaker points out the obvious, the man replies, Well, he'll be dead soon. He's very ill. The victim pleads, I'm getting better. And the man says, No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. The undertaker refuses to take a person who is alive on his cart, and he protests, Well, it's against regulations. So the man asks, Well, isn't there something you can do? So the undertaker looks around, and he clocks the victim on the head, tosses him on the cart. I think this is analogous to what's going on over at the Fed. Powell and company very much want inflation to be dead. They very much want to cut interest rates. They have to know that this debt-riddled bubble economy can't keep lurching along much longer with 5.5% interest rates. The problem is, inflation's not dead. Now, not to be an I told you so, but I'm going to be an I told you so. I've been saying inflation isn't dead all along. In fact, after the December CPI report came out, I wrote an article over at moneymetals.com news headlined, The Demise of Inflation Seems Somewhat Exaggerated. I'll link to that on the show notes page. Well, the latest CPI, that report makes it even harder to deny that price inflation is alive and well. In fact, To quote our poor Monty Python victim, it seems to be getting better. So, let's dig into these numbers. The headline CPI came in at 3.1% after an unexpected jump to 3.4% in December. The fact that the annual number came down could conceivably be spun as good news. But considering the projection was for a steeper fall to 2.9%, It's kind of hard to justify a celebration. And the decrease just brings annual price inflation back down to its November level. And if you kind of step back and look at the trend, you might actually feel a sense of panic like we heard over at the Fed. If you annualize the CPI over the last three months, it comes to 4%. That's up from 3.3%. If you annualize it over the last six months, 
the CPI comes in at 3.7%, and that's up from 3.2%. Notice the theme here is up. And you'll also notice that none of those numbers that I just said were anywhere close to 2%. And of course, that's supposed to be the target, right? So on a monthly basis, which I kind of think gives you a little bit better perspective of kind of what's going on with prices, prices rose 0.3%. That's the same increase we saw in December, and it was against an expectation of 0.2%. Now, consider this. Prices have gone up over half a percent in just two months. That doesn't sound to me like inflation is cooling. Things get even more bleak if we look at core CPI. Now, this is supposed to be a better metric because it strips out more volatile food and energy prices. And man, oh man, I sure do wish I could strip out food and energy prices out of my budget, but alas. Anyway, core CPI rose to 0.4% in January and was up on an annual basis to 3.9% from a year ago. That annual number is unchanged from December. The projections were for a 0.3% month-on-month increase and a 3.7% annual rise. So both of these numbers hotter than expected. Kind of a theme. It's worth noting that core CPI has been hovering in that 4% range since July. That's nearly double the Fed's 2% target, right? To put the monthly core CPI increase into perspective, it would need to average just under 0.17% each month in order to hit the 2% annual target. We've not come anywhere near that in years. We're nowhere close. In fact, no matter how you slice, dice, or massage these numbers, nothing in this data tells me that price inflation is anywhere near the Fed's goal. Now, people will say, well, it's trending in the right direction. Okay, maybe it is, but it's still got an awful long way to trend before I'm going to look at this and say, oh, look, the central bank has finally beaten inflation back. Now, also, you'll hear me use this disclaimer pretty much every time I talk about CPI. It's important to keep in mind that inflation is worse than the government data suggests. The government revised the CPI formula back in the 1990s so that it understates the actual rise in prices. So based on the formula that was used back in the 1970s, CPI is close to double the official numbers. So if you consider that, we're looking at something like 6%. And honestly, it's probably worse than that. I'll link to an article in the show notes that explains exactly how the U.S. government cooked the books back in the 90s to make inflation look better than it actually is. Now, as I'm sure you realize, because you're experiencing this, this isn't just some kind of academic exercise. Price inflation impacts people. And by impacts, I mean it hurts people. Peter Earle wrote an article published over at moneymetals.com news chronicling the impact of price inflation on your Super Bowl party. Since December 2019, many of the prices are up over 50% and most of them are up at least 20%. The biggest increase was the price of eggs, ringing in at 63.3%. So, you know, if you had deviled eggs at your Super Bowl party, uh, consider yourself living in luxury. 
And by the way, inflation-adjusted real weekly earnings fell 0.3% in January. This was despite a rise in real hourly earnings. The decline was due to people working fewer hours. So pay went up, but employers compensated with that by working you less. So if you dig into the numbers, you'll find that rising shelter costs accounted for a big chunk of the CPI rise. But there are plenty of other costs that are rising. In fact, the only sector broadly charting disinflation is energy. Food prices were up 0.4% month-on-month. Medical care services were up 0.7%. Now, you can get a used car a bit cheaper, but after more than a year of getting squeezed by rising prices... Who the heck can afford to buy a car? So here's what some mainstream dude told CNBC for its report on the January CPI. Quote, the much anticipated CPI report is a disappointment for those who expected inflation to edge lower, allowing the Fed to begin easing rates sooner rather than later. This guy is uh, Quincy Crosby. He's the chief global strategist at LPL Financial. He went on, across the board numbers were hotter than expected, making certain that the Fed will need more data before initiating a rate cutting cycle. Very true. I agree with pretty much all of that. And that, my friends, is a big yikes. The market responded just as anybody who's been paying attention to the markets over the last couple of years would expect. They freaked out because everybody out there wants their easy money back. And uh, as the guy told CNBC, the Fed's, I mean, unless it just ignores it, the Fed really can't plausibly do that. So stock markets sold off. The Dow was down over 524 points. The S&P 500 slipped back below the mythical 5,000 level. Uh, It shed nearly 1.4%, and the NASDAQ fell 1.8%. Meanwhile, bond yields, i.e. interest rates on bonds, rose, and the dollar refreshed its almost two-month high above 104.7. Now, these rising bond yields are particularly problematic for the U.S. government and, by association, the Fed. The Biden administration keeps spending like a drunken sailor. And I say that with all due respect to any drunken sailors I may have in the audience. It managed to run another deficit in January, despite setting a record for January revenues. The real issue becomes apparent when you look at the interest expense. It's not just the spending and the increasing deficits, which are a problem. It's the interest on top of that. So we've got a double whammy of rapidly rising debt and rapidly rising interest rates. The U.S. government spent $69.2 billion just paying interest expenses in January. This was more than the amount the government spent on national defense, which was $60 billion. It was more than the government spent on health care, $68 billion. So what I'm saying here is interest expense is one of the biggest expenses for the federal government because of these higher interest rates. Just looking at the numbers a little more deeply, interest on the federal debt came in at 96 or came in 96 billion dollars higher through the first 4 months of fiscal 2024 than the same period last year. The government has shelled out $357 billion on interest payments so far in fiscal 2024. That's just 4 months. The only category with higher spending through the first 4 months of this fiscal year was social security. 
The dynamic we have going on here is that much of the debt currently on the books was financed at very low interest rates before the Federal Reserve started its hiking cycle. So every single month, some of that super low-yielding paper matures, and it has to be replaced by bonds yielding much higher rates. That's because this whole thing is basically a Ponzi scheme, right? People are lending money to the U.S. government by buying treasury bonds. When those bonds mature, the government has to pay those borrowers back. But it doesn't have any money, so it has to go borrow from new borrowers in order to pay off the old borrowers. Again, basically a Ponzi scheme. So because interest rates are rising, the weighted average interest rate on the government's total outstanding treasury security debt rose to 3.21% as of the end of January. That compares to an average weighted interest rate of 2.43% back in January of 2023. Rising interest rates drove interest payments to over 35% as a percentage of total tax receipts in fiscal 2023. In other words, last year the government already paid more than a third of its tax collected on interest expense. So you can see why this high interest rate environment is a problem just for the federal government. And of course, you know, the Fed is the mechanism that kind of bails the federal government out of this problem by buying bonds through quantitative easing and putting them on its balance sheet, basically monetizing the debt. The Fed's not monetizing any debt right now, and that exacerbates the problem for the U.S. government. So the government really needs the Fed to go back to buying bonds or at least quit rolling bonds off of its balance sheet. So anyway, let's go back to the reaction to the CPI. As has happened every single time people think the Fed is going to stay in the inflation fight, gold tanked. The price actually sank below $2,000 an ounce for a time. It closed the day close to $2,000 an ounce. It depends on what source you look at for the spot price, but it's right around that $2,000 support. You know, when you really think about it, it's kind of a bizarro world because people are actually selling an inflation hedge when there are signs of inflation. It's like I talked about in the show last week. Bad news is good news, up is down, left is right. Everything is out of whack in the markets because everything is being run by Fed monetary policy. That's the driving force of this economy. Fed monetary policy. People aren't worried about fundamentals or you know the solidness of a company or what's actually going on in the economy. No, it's all about are we going to get our easy money back? It's the drug that keeps the party going. So when I posted about the uh, gold sell-off on X, a reader made a really good point. One of the reasons you often see gold sell off uh, significantly along with a stock market crash, especially in the early stages of a stock market crash, is over leveraged hedge funds tend to liquidate precious metal holdings first because they're non-yielding. They use that to cover short position and uh, sh short positions and margin calls. So when you look at uh, what gold and silver did in response to the CPI, it, it's kind of good news for those of you who want more of an inflation hedge because this presents a great buying opportunity. I mean, 
it's pretty clear the Fed isn't winning this inflation fight. I, if I was a betting man looking into the future, I would not sit back and go, huh, I think inflation is probably going to be a lot lower next year. Just doesn't seem like that's what's in the cards. And I'm going to get into what winning the inflation fight actually means here in a minute. It actually means more inflation. So if you're thinking along those lines, this is a great opportunity to buy gold and silver because the prices are, uh, are low. Especially true of silver. I've talked about this before, but the pricing of silver right now is not in line with the supply and demand dynamics. Silver is significantly underpriced. It's even underpriced compared to gold when you look at the gold-silver ratio. So just things to think about as you look at the trajectory of the gold price over the next couple of days because, I mean, we may see today uh, the sell-off continue because I think everybody is really in a panic uh, thinking that, that interest rates are going to stay elevated. Um, so anyway, I keep hammering this point home. Despite rates being high, Given the level of debt in the economy, monetary conditions are still historically loose. So that means even given the tightening, the central bank policy is still inflationary. Yes, the Fed is still creating inflation while it fights a symptom of inflation, rising prices. When you really look at it, this is the worst inflation fight ever. It really needed to push interest rates above the CPI. That means, you know, back a year ago, we should have seen interest rates go up to like 10%. That's what Paul Volcker did in 1980 in order to get price inflation from the 70s under control. He pushed interest rates to over 20% to get it above where the CPI was running. Like I said, if you used an honest an honest measure of CPI. Right now, we're looking at at least 6% CPI, so we should have interest rates higher than they are now. And we're talking about cutting interest rates. That's what I mean when I say that from a historical perspective, monetary policy is still relatively loose. And the Fed's own financial conditions index, this is put out by the Chicago Fed, it proves my point. I've cited this before. Uh, the index came in at negative 0.49% in the week ending February 2nd. So a negative number means financial conditions are historically loose. So the Fed people have to know this, right? I mean, it's their own number. And that's why I said at the top of the show, the central bankers are stuck between a rock and a hard place. In reality, they need to tighten more to actually rein in inflation, but they know they can't because it's going to wreck the economy. In fact, they already wrecked the economy. We're just waiting to see what breaks. We're waiting to see the wreckage manifest itself. And something is going to break. And then all of this discussion about CPI is going to be moot because the Fed is going to do what it always does. At least I think this is what will happen. It's going to slash interest rates to zero and it's going to run quantitative easing. It's going to start buying bonds and printing money to do it. That's how the Fed always deals with the crisis. And you'll hear Powell and other Fed officials come marching out and say, oh, this is an emergency and we'll deal with the inflation problem after we get this emergency under control. It's exactly what they said during the pandemic. And we're still paying for that debacle today. And you know, the fact of the matter is the Fed wrecked the economy years ago. I mean, it didn't wreck it 
when it started raising interest rates last year. It wrecked it when it artificially pushed interest rates to zero and held them artificially low for well over a decade. I mean, we can go back to 2008 and talk about that being the point where the Fed started to wreck the economy. Or I would argue it goes back even farther to the response to the dot-com bust under uh, uh, Greenspan. So this problem has been brewing for decades, and it's just a matter of time before it actually manifests itself. When it held interest rates artificially low, it incentivized debt, it created all kinds of malinvestments in the economy. It blew up a bunch of bubbles. And the bubbles are going to pop, my friends. They always do. I said it once already, and I'm going to say it again because this is really important. This debt-riddled economy cannot function long-term with interest rates at this level, even though, from a historical standpoint, monetary policy is still historically loose. And, you know, we're already seeing signs of the strain in the economy if we're looking at the right places. There were more corporate bankruptcies in 2023 than there were during the pandemic year of 2020. Wrap your head around that for a minute. Now, part of that is because, you know, the, the government bailed out everybody during the uh, pandemic. But still, think about how bad the economic situation was that year. And then think about the fact there are more bankruptcies last year. The commercial real estate sector is poised to collapse and take small and regional banks down with it. We've already had a banking crisis that the Fed managed to paper over with the bailout program. But the entire economy is teetering because it needs the easy money drug. I talked about this last week and the week before. The mainstream just hasn't caught up yet. If you want a sense of how much debt there is out there, look at the latest household debt data. came out uh, earlier this month, or, or late last month, actually. Uh, the New York Fed releases this data. And household debt rose by another $212 billion in the fourth quarter of 2023, surging to a record of $17.5 trillion. That's trillion with a T. Ballooning credit card balances led the way, increasing by 4.6% to $1.13 trillion. This is yet another reason why the markets want interest rates to come down and to come down now. This debt spiral is unsustainable. It's unsustainable anyway. It's even more unsustainable when you realize how high interest rates are on credit cards. And that strain is actually starting to show up. According to the New York Fed, delinquencies increased in every debt category during the fourth quarter. Aggregate delinquency rates rose by 3.5%, with approximately 8.5% of credit card balances and 7.7% of auto loans transitioning into delinquency. So people are starting to feel the strain. And you can kind of look and see the trajectory of what happened. If you go back and you look at credit card debt during the pandemic. It came way down. People used stimulus money to pay down their credit card debt. They also used stimulus money to save. And then we got the price inflation that was inevitable, and people blew through their savings, and they started living on credit cards. That's how people are making ends meet in this inflationary environment. You'll hear the, the pundits out there talk about the resilient American consumer, and they'll just applaud these people because they're still spending money. Yeah, they're putting it on Visa and MasterCard. We have great economic growth right now, courtesy of the credit card companies. 
So, yeah, no wonder everybody, including the central bankers over at the Fed, want rate cuts. But price inflation is still there. And there they are, stuck between a rock and a hard place. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. I mean, what do they choose? Do they pick more price inflation? Remember, as I've talked about before on the show, any declaration of victory over inflation is really a surrender to inflation. Winning means going back to the inflationary policies that got us here to start with. And that's what the markets are jonesing for. They want artificially low interest rates. They want inflation dead so they can have inflation back. Because keep in mind, in effect, any end to rate increases and then subsequent rate cuts any loosening of monetary policy, that's all inflationary. Rising prices are a symptom of monetary inflation. And monetary inflation is exactly what you get when the central bank reverts to a looser monetary policy. So they can choose that, or they can pick the other alternative and stick to their guns and keep trying to drive price inflation down to that 2% target, even as the bubbles pop, the debt explodes, and the economy crashes. So what are they going to choose? Now, I suspect they'll ultimately choose the inflation route. History tells us the Fed will run in on a white horse the moment the economy starts to collapse. But when you think about it, either choice is a bad choice, right? More inflation, that's bad. A collapsing economy and a financial crisis, that's bad. It's all bad. It's a rock and a hard place. So, as I said earlier, this big drop in the price of gold and silver, it's a great opportunity to hedge against the crisis, whichever crisis it is. Because I think that even if they choose to try to keep fighting inflation, we're still going to get inflation. I think the most likely scenario is stagflation, rising prices coupled with low economic growth. That's kind of where I think we're heading. If that is the case, you're going to want some gold and silver in your portfolio to help hedge against the depreciation of the currency and the devaluation of your wealth. And, you know, on top of the price drop that we saw in gold and silver today in reaction to the CPI, premiums right now are extremely low. Demand for gold and silver in, in physical form has fallen. And so a lot of people have a lot of inventory. So, so we've got low premiums, we've got low prices. It's a buyer's market. So it's a great time to call money metals. You can just dial 800-800-1865. Talk to one of those fine professionals there at Money Metals. They can answer your questions. They can help you find products that will work for you and you know help you understand how gold and silver can be an important part of your portfolio. If you don't feel like talking on the phone, you can go to moneymetals.com and you can chat online, or you can even just order online if you know what you want. So take advantage of the opportunity today. So that is a wrap for this episode of Money Metals Midweek Memo. You can get more information about the things that I've talked about and more over at moneymetals.com slash news. And if you want to get the latest news right in your inbox, you can join over a million people who have subscribed to our mailing list and get our regular newsletters. Of course, you can subscribe to the Midweek Memo on your favorite podcasting platform. You can email me, mike.mahari at moneymetals.com. I love to hear from folks. And 
make sure you turn uh, tune in to our Market Wrap podcast every Friday. I really appreciate you listening to the show today. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week.